You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking news. Firefighters in Surrey rushing to put out a significant grass fire this afternoon. A fire that was sparked after the crash of an ultralight aircraft. Julie Nolan joins us from the scene in Surrey with more. Julie, what happened? Yeah, Sophie, it was a frantic rescue and firefight for crews as an experimental ultralight ended up in a field triggering a blaze. It happened near 152nd and 68th just after one o'clock as the pilot was doing a test run in this field. A witness tells Global News this was a Zen Air ultralight that the pilot was trying to outfit with different engines. There was some kind of malfunction of the engine when things went terribly wrong. Bystanders were able to pull the pilot from the ultralight as it caught on fire. She tried to turn back to the field and fell short to where you see the wreckage in the background and immediately it burst into flames. Uh, he had some difficulty getting out and uh, fire uh, broke out and kind of burnt his legs somewhat. Uh, he was he's conscious and walking and everything and they had taken him to the hospital. People need to be careful. This should be a, you know, a reminder that even down here on the coast where everything's still green, um, a wildfire can get going and when it's pushed by the wind, uh, it can become quite a problem. Well, the TSB is now investigating. The fire is out and traffic is back open along 152nd. The pilot was taken to hospital in serious condition. Back to you, Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Julie Nolan reporting for us live in Surrey. Vancouver police say a daylight shooting on the downtown east side on Thursday afternoon that sent at least two people to hospital is another sign of the disturbing increase in gun violence with no regard for the public. Aaron MacArthur reports. Just after 4.30 Thursday afternoon, violence erupted on Hastings Street near Columbia. Vancouver police officers responding to a chaotic scene with at least one person wounded by gunfire. Witnesses reporting several people fleeing on foot. Uh, and it was unclear in that moment if uh, these people were fleeing because they were afraid or if they were involved in the incident. So our officers worked quickly to secure the crime scene and ensure that the public was safe. Police quickly discovered the one victim who was taken to hospital in an ambulance. But there was another victim identified also suffering a gunshot wound who walked into the ER at St. Paul's Hospital. Both are expected to live. Eight people were arrested and released pending further investigation. Friday, detectives continued to canvass the neighborhood, police asking for witnesses to come forward. This isn't something that we've seen for the first time. This has happened before where uh, uh, targeted shootings will happen in broad daylight in, in populated areas. So um, this is obviously very concerning. We have uh, dozens of officers on this in different sections of the VPD uh, working to um, create the best package for Crown Council. According to the VPD, the victims and suspects all knew each other and this shooting was targeted. But at this point in the investigation, it is unclear if the violence was gang-related. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Advocates for people with disabilities gathered outside the Vancouver courthouse today as an appeal got underway for the sentence of Astrid Dahl. Dahl was a caregiver found guilty of not providing the necessaries of life for Florence Gerard, but she did not receive any jail time. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the Crown is appealing with the support of the victim's family and friends. A support group gathers outside the courthouse in downtown Vancouver. 
many of them advocates for those with disabilities. People in care are vulnerable and they need to be cared for and there's been no um, responsibility taken on Ms. Dahl's part for what has happened. Order in court. Inside, an important appeals court case is being heard, one involving the death of 54-year-old Florence Gerard, a woman who had Down syndrome. Hopefully they do what they should do, and if they don't, I hope people learn from this and don't let this happen again. Last year, Gerard's caregiver Astrid Dahl was convicted of failing to provide the necessaries of life. Gerard weighed just over 50 pounds when she was found dead inside Dahl's Port Coquitlam home in 2018. When our officers arrived to this call of a sudden death, there was no indication of trauma or abuse. However, there was an indication that the victim had not received the care that she required. The official cause of death, as determined by the coroner, was malnourishment and starvation. Despite Dahl's conviction, she wasn't given any jail time. Crown is now appealing that decision. In room 60, the appeals court judges heard submissions from both Crown and defense. Defense asserted that Astrid Dahl's one-year conditional sentence to be served in the community was appropriate. Crown strongly disagreed, saying it should have been 18 to 24 months incarceration. Well, I'm hoping she goes to jail, but I don't have a lot of expectations. A decision in the case has been reserved, meaning it will be announced sometime in the months ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The man accused of verbally attacking workers at a Surrey drive through in February is now facing charges. 31-year-old Christian Maybaum has been charged with assault and causing a disturbance. The incident took place at a Tim Hortons in the Panorama neighborhood on February 5th. Cell phone video shows a man in a truck yelling at staff. It was an expletive-filled rant about his coffee order. The suspect had fled by the time police arrived. Maybaum was arrested last month. A Campbell River man says the justice system failed him after the person accused of stabbing him was acquitted. As Kylie Stanton reports, the violent encounter was caught on video, but that wasn't enough for a conviction. He got me three times in the main artery, two over here and right up here. The physical scars are slowly healing, but emotionally, Ron Bevan has a long road ahead. I thought I was going to die. I could feel it. On December 7th of 2021, Bevan and his wife were working as security guards, manning the entrances here at the Campbell River Walmart, when a man who had been banned from the store for threatening the couple on a regular basis walked in. I got a call on the radio from my wife saying that uh, this guy had threatened her with a knife. So I said, well, back away, I said, I'm, I'm on my way, right? From there, an altercation ensued, all of it captured on Bevan's wife's body cam. The guy grabbed him, had him in a hold, stabbed him. It was seconds. Blood was just pouring out of my coat. Bevan needed help, and quickly. Call 911! As people rushed to his aid, the man walked out of the store. Later that day, the suspect was charged with assault with a weapon, aggravated assault, and robbery. And in October, the case went to trial. Up here. 
But despite the entire incident being captured on video, the couple has learned a judge ruled the suspect was not guilty on all counts. It was shocking. Like It was just like somebody stabbed me all over again or just let the air out of both of us. Because it just seemed so surreal. Global News was not in court, but the Bevins say the judge concluded that since the man could not be properly identified, there was enough reasonable doubt to acquit him. The couple is now sharing their story, knowing they're not alone. There was an attempted murder. The justice system has big time failed us. The Bevins have now officially left their jobs at Walmart, knowing it would be too triggering to return, and instead are working to move past what happened. And we'll get through it, but it's not, it's not fair and just. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, doctors across the country are sounding the alarm about emergency room delays this summer. Global News has been covering the dire situation at Surrey Memorial's emergency department as many of those on the front lines challenge Fraser Health leadership about long-standing issues at that hospital. Richard Zussman has more. They say waiting is the hardest thing of all, and British Columbians going to emergency rooms across the province this summer should expect to do a lot of it. Doctors say this is the perfect storm. Staffing shortages, burnout, and now summer vacation, and nowhere will it be worse than Surrey Memorial in the midst of an ER crisis. On Monday and Tuesday, Health Minister Adrian Dix, Fraser Health CEO Dr. Victoria Lee and Board Chair Jim St. Clair will be meeting with frontline workers around the issues. On the table, concerns about staffing, wait times and a lack of hospitalists. What Dix is trying to do is remove any questions about leadership, although the issue keeps coming up. As many people know, not just an outstanding health administrator and leader, but also an outstanding doctor who provides, I think, has provided during the COVID-19 pandemic some of the most extraordinary leadership we've seen in the healthcare system. You'll know that Fraser Health was the worst treated health authority under the previous government, that Dr. Lee has taken on this role and made exceptional changes. I think it would help the government if there was leadership change. It will not solve the immediate issues there, but in regards to the doctors and nurses and their frustration with the administration, where they feel they haven't been listened to, it would probably go a long way. Global News has put in numerous requests to speak to Sinclair about his role in terms of leadership at Fraser Health, and those requests have not yet been granted, although both Dix and Lee have done multiple interviews all week long. Richard Lussman, Global News, Victoria. E-bike enthusiasts run into rebate roadblocks. He just couldn't get through, couldn't get through. How BC's incentive program was a victim of its own success. Next on the NewsHour. Rattlesnake season and the warning for pet owners still to come tonight on the NewsHour. Plus, does size really matter? Duncan residents weigh in on what to do with their world-famous hockey stick later. Right now, though, it turns out the B.C. government's rebate program for electric bikes might have been a little too popular. As Kristen Robinson reports, many people who tried to take advantage of the rebates were left spinning their wheels. When the B.C. government's electric bike rebate program went live, the website received 4,000 applications in less than eight hours. Marie Horstead almost gave up. 
I was thought I'm happy for everybody who's going to get a bike. I hope they enjoy them. It, it doesn't look like it's going to be me, but I'd already imagined myself zooming around on my new e-bike. So I did keep trying and I was so happy that um, the confirmation was received. Soon after launching, the website crashed temporarily and not all would-be applicants were able to ride it out. It was clear that that it, yeah, it was overloaded or something. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know I was thinking for a government website that it would work better, but they probably didn't anticipate that much interest. The Transportation Ministry calls the program a massive and unprecedented success with almost 12,000 applications in the first 24 hours and a wait list with close to 8,000 applicants. Anything that's new from the government, of course, they're going to be a little bit overwhelmed. There's a lot of, you know, growing pains. There is quite a few uh, commuter bikes that we have. Simon Coots says he's been inundated with inquiries. About 40 e-bikes are being built, with another 20 on hold for clients awaiting their approved rebate paperwork. I still think it's a great success because it's, it's a program that's going to help a lot of people that normally wouldn't be riding a bike or an e-bike get out there and get some exercise. This one here is super popular. The province says any additional funding besides the initial six million will be announced if and when it is established. Those who bought their e-bikes first may be out of luck. Individuals who purchased e-bikes prior to applying and receiving rebate approval are not eligible to apply for a rebate at this time. The rebates range from $1,400 to $350 depending on income. Horstead can't wait to pedal forward with cash back. It was totally worth it. And as long as everything goes as expected and I'm able to get my e-bike and get my rebate, I'm thrilled. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, it could be a hot summer for real estate in Metro Vancouver. The Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver reports housing prices have increased for six months straight. Across all home types, prices are up roughly 6%. That is three times higher than what the real estate board had predicted for 2023. Last month, home sales in the region totaled just over 3,400. That's nearly 16% more than in May of 2022, but still 1.4% lower than the 10-year average. Well, some BC municipal leaders are speaking out with their concerns about the provincial government's new strategy to build more housing. As Richard Zussman reports, they're worried about the addition infrastructure that'll be needed to service all those new homes. In life and politics, there's no such thing as a free ride. Now mayors on the province's naughty list want a something in return for building housing. If this is a, a good opportunity to, to talk to the provincial government about our infrastructure deficit, then, then we'll be uh, great partners for them in this project. Earlier this week, the province released a list of 10 municipalities deemed in greatest need of housing. These communities will now work with the government to set targets. But for North Vancouver District Mayor Mike Little, he wants to know long-awaited public transit infrastructure to the North Shore will be there before taking on more housing. Right now we're sitting in a situation where we haven't had a, a lane increase to the North Shore since 1968 and our population's more than doubled. And without that infrastructure being improved, it's very hard for us to grow at the uh, levels that the provincial government would like us to. Housing Minister Ravi Kalon says his government is investing in transit and little needs to advocate around the mayor's council table to push the North Shore up the priority list. I appreciate communities saying uh, all the buts, all the reasons for not having a housing built in their communities, but fundamentally we need both. And it's not just about transit. Here in Oak Bay, 
another community on the list. Mayor Kevin Murdoch says the city doesn't even have enough permitting to deal with current projects, let alone projects that may be pushed by the province. It's very difficult in a small municipality. Uh, it just is. We, we were fully built out in 1962. Um, there's not a lot of additional spaces to, to acquire green space. The federal government will be launching a $4 billion housing accelerator fund to hold up their end of the bargain. This can be used to improve sewer and water along with amenities. We expect that the 10 communities that have been chosen because of the work we're going to be doing with them will be actually well positioned to be leaders in receiving a large chunk of the $4 billion. Municipalities hoping to amend the old classic. If we build it, the infrastructure money must come. Richard Zussman, Global News, Oak Bay. Up next, wildfire devastation. My house is gone, everything's gone. Nova Scotia residents get their first look at what's left. Plus, suspicious fire at a Kelowna property. How crews have been here many times before. Traffic is moving well north and south tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just a bit of leftover volume on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve through Richmond. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million plus estimated 10 max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. Trish was in at Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. At least 15 fires are burning across Nova Scotia, so it's hoped rain forecast this weekend will help the firefight. A steady stream of helicopters and bombers tackling the largest fire the province has ever seen in Shelburne County in southern Nova Scotia. More than 40 volunteer and municipal firefighters are working on it from the air and from the ground. Meanwhile, a bus tour was arranged for residents to visit their homes that were damaged or destroyed by the Halifax wildfires. They filled in one by one, preparing to take families on an emotional journey. This is going to be the first opportunity for some of the families who wanted to, to uh, get on a tour. We're taking a city bus and just going to drive them through some of the areas so they can get an assessment of the damage. Dozens arrived at the Canada Game Centre in Halifax after being informed by the city that they could visit their residences affected by the wildfires. So what you're seeing behind me are five municipality buses that were provided by the city for the families to return back to their communities, hoping to see what's left of their homes. I'm not hopeful to see a lot. They told me that everything was gone. So truck was in the driveway, trailer, garage, house, everything. I'm just hoping my cat got out. <laughs> my house is gone. Everything's gone. Um, I've seen pictures. The only thing's left is I do have a trailer there and... A little work trailer and that seems to be all right except for some tires and things burn off it but I don't know we can't really tell. I was hoping that my my shed my garage would still be there but nothing. there's absolutely nothing Your left on our yeah, yeah nothing left on our property so. Residents weren't allowed to come off the bus resulting in many choosing to opt out of the tour. Others say they just weren't ready. And some people really want to see it right and they need to make it real. I can. I can't, I, my heart goes out to them, and uh, I know the community is never going to be the same. Mental health supports were made available to residents. In the meantime, the city says another bus tour is being arranged for Saturday, awaiting the approval from the incident commander, who says communities are still too dangerous to return. Vanessa Wright, Global News, Halifax. 
Firefighters in Kelowna had to deal with a fire at a property that's all too familiar to them. Fire officials say a cedar hedge caught fire at this West Kelowna property at around 6.30 this morning. When crews arrived, the flames had spread into a shed and RV on the property. Because of all the debris on the property, it made extinguishing the fire difficult. An excavator was needed to tear apart the shed to put out the blaze for good. No injuries were reported, but the fire is considered suspicious and is under investigation. This was a frustrating fire for us uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is we've been to this property and the neighborhood numerous times over the last few years for the same type of thing. Um, what, you know, we deem right now, luckily, just to be nuisance fires, have the potential to be a lot worse. And this is also our second fire this week that involves a cedar hedge. Crews have been to this property at least three times over the last few years. Investigators are working to determine the cause. They're also looking into fire-safe alternatives for the property. Coming up, snake country warning. Anywhere where you got a trail where it's warm out. Rattlesnake season and what pet owners should watch for. And later, water anxiety on the Sunshine Coast. Fears of a looming summer shortage. lanes north and south through the Massey Tunnel right now. Most of the congestion is actually on that Steveston off-ramp on the Richmond side. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million plus an estimated 10 Max Millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. And Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. Well, rattlesnakes are making their way around the Okanagan again. And for some, that can be scary, especially for pet owners. As Victoria Femir reports, one local animal hospital has already treated a number of patients for rattlesnake bites, prompting a warning from experts. May, June, and again in September, um, you do see snakes, rattlesnakes are particularly active. With the Okanagan being a prime destination for rattlesnakes, it's time for residents to be mindful of where the rattlers might be hiding while they move from their den locations to their summer hunting grounds. Anywhere where you got a trail where it's warm out, uh, daytime it's warm, nighttime starts to cool down, the snakes will start moving out onto the trails. So start paying attention, carry a flashlight. All right, so that you can identify what it is. And again, like I said, if you're not sure what it is, don't touch it. For those heading out to local trails with a pet, especially ones in snake country, it's always best to keep them on a leash. I'm fairly certain we see far more dog bites than human bites. Um, and yeah, dogs are naturally quite, quite curious creatures and they want to hunt. So it's really important to like keep your dog on a leash and make sure that they're not, keep a close eye on where they're going and they're not going into shrub brushes or barking into rocks. Fairfield Animal Hospital in Kelowna says the clinic saw 14 patients with rattlesnake bites from May to September of last year, all of which required anti-venin treatment. And this year, the hospital has already treated four patients for rattlesnake bites. Fairfield posted these stats to social media, adding that cases range from the north to south Okanagan. If your pet were to get bit by a rattlesnake, it's always best to call the vet as soon as possible. But according to one local veterinarian, there are ways to treat the animal immediately to prevent any further damage. As soon as possible to get him to a vet, try to give um, the dog lots and lots of water to drink, of course, and try to immobilize him so he won't walk or run because then what's happening is that uh, the bloodstream will spread it around 
and then it creates way more damage. Oz says symptoms of a bite include swelling and pain in the area. The dog might cry and whimper or even shake their head vigorously. Victoria Femia, Global News. Well, many British Columbians believe politicians have poorly handled the opioid crisis. That's according to a new poll by Research Co. More than three in five British Columbians surveyed described the situation as a major problem in their community. More than half of those polled think the Prime Minister and the federal government in general have failed in coming up with solutions. 20% of British Columbians say they personally know someone who has died due to opioid use. More than 11,000 people in B.C. have died from toxic drugs since the public health emergency was declared back in April of 2016. Well, the B.C. government is providing funding for upgrades to Canuck Place Children's Hospice. $4.5 million will go to enhancing patient care rooms and improving ventilation and accessibility. The province says the aging building needs repairs to the exterior, including the roof. The money will also go toward construction of a new administrative building, expected to be complete by 2025. This upgrade will ensure that children and their families can continue to receive care in a safe and comfortable place during an unbelievably vulnerable period of their lives. Over the past year, Canuck Place has cared for 871 children and families, a 5% increase over the previous year. This funding means we can provide spaces that meet the needs of these children and families who face such great uncertainty. Canuck Place was established in 1995 as the first children's hospice in North America. It now operates out of two locations in Vancouver and Abbotsford. Just ahead, bracing for a drought. I think we can all only reasonably anticipate that we'll be in a water crisis again. How Sunshine Coast officials are preparing for a prolonged dry spell. Plus, battle for bragging rights. How Duncan residents are reacting to the thought of losing their claim to fame. Just around the corner and people on the Sunshine Coast fear a repeat of last year's drought and water shortages in their region. As Paul Johnson reports, Gibson's mayor is going straight to the top, calling on the premier to take action. On a breezy early June day, Sunshine Coast's Chapman Creek doesn't quite look like a harbinger of drought. But if recent experience is any indicator, the charming little watercourse may once again be at the center of the region's water struggles. We just had uh, an unprecedented May in terms of how dry and hot it was. Gibson's Mayor Silas White recently took the unusual step of writing to Premier David Eby for help. Gibson's, as it turns out, is in good shape thanks to a large aquifer. But further north, in Seashelt, water is more scarce. And last summer, Gibson's was compelled to share water with its neighbors. They'll do that again if need be. But White wants the province to clear some bureaucratic hurdles to help them get through the coming summer. I think we can all only reasonably anticipate that we'll be in a water crisis again on the Sunshine Coast, on a regional level. They'd like Victoria to sign off ahead of time on siphoning water from Chapman Lake and allowing the creek to run lower during the months when salmon aren't spawning, raising water levels and 
lowering anxiety. We take our gray water from the sink and we put it on the garden. Gibson's artist, Saw Boothroyd, told us about some of her drought coping systems, which include a cistern for gardening and even showering less. With the region experiencing substantial growth, many here are likely to feel anxious about water until they find the right balance between supply and usage. The situation has become constant, whereas before we used to have water restrictions every three, four years, now it's constant. In Gibson's, Paul Johnson, Global News. And the province says it has received the letter and is taking the issue of water availability seriously. Details are being reviewed and a response will be coming as soon as possible. Well, let's find out what the uh, situation is like, especially when we have high temperatures coming in the next few days, Christy. Uh, not quite a heat wave, but maybe um, right. summer-like. Summer light, exactly. So uh, we are going to see a spike in heat, but I thought I would just really touch on the, the moisture uh, thing for the Sunshine Coast. For those of you there, I mean, we really don't have any rain in the forecast for all of southern BC as far as we can see. So it's into next weekend that there is the potential, but that's still so far away. So in the meantime, yeah, we're just talking about heat, as Sophie mentioned, and it's not a heat wave. It's a mini heat wave or a little spike in temperatures. So we're good 5 to 10 degrees above seasonal. There is a potential for some of those areas in the interior that could rate, reach record-breaking conditions, so up to 36 degrees, say, for Kamloops, as an example. So that's very hot for this time of year, and as I mentioned, it comes with uh, that lack of moisture. Quick look at the rest of the region on Wednesday in terms of what you can expect with the peak of the heat. So high 20s for those of you in the central interior and all across the southern interior regions. We're talking about uh, conditions into the 30s. So we've seen a migration of this map throughout the last several days. We are going to continue to into next week. I think and not too long, you're going to see all of this area transition to oranges and reds, which means high to very high. The North Coast region, a few showers for you as an upper level trough shifts in, otherwise hot and through the interior. For the South Coast, though, near seasonal values, just slightly above seasonal for the weekend. It's next week that we're going to warm up. And as I mentioned, yes, no rain in the forecast. So lots of sunshine in store for us. Sophie, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Coldstream. This little guy is only 20 minutes old already standing and looking for cuddles from mom. And I couldn't help but also show you this one, Sophie. E.T. phone home. This is looking yeah. at the Stowamas chief with the full moon from last night. Back to wow. you, Wow, beautiful pictures. Thank you, Christy. Well, it's been a point of pride for decades in Duncan. The Vancouver Island community is home to the world's largest hockey stick. But now it seems an American is, cha is challenging that title. Janet Brown has more on the battle for bragging rights. It is 62.5 meters, weighs 33 tons, is made of steel and Douglas fir. This massive hockey stick in Duncan is recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records, but now that record is being challenged by an American city, no less. The last time the Stanley Cup was won by a Canadian team was back in 1993. Now our giant hockey stick could be dwarfed by a bigger one stateside, a move many say is offside. In Lockport, Illinois, construction of a new ice facility is underway, and it includes a 76-meter hockey stick, roughly 14 meters larger than the one in Duncan. 
At the same time, the Duncan stick needs repairs. A lot of the wood is rotting, and it was under attack last year by woodpeckers drilling holes. It would be really neat to see it cleaned up at the very least. A consultant's report says the regional district should either plan for significant renovations costing millions of dollars or replace it by 2025. I think it's got to go to a vote for people. Area residents will get a say on being dethroned if the Cowichan Valley Regional District agrees to a survey about the stick's future. I would wait until it was uh, seriously challenged and then if the city wanted to beat that title, go ahead and do what they have to do. The stick is a point of pride for the community. When you have visitors, you want to be able to say, oh, you should come down and get your picture taken with the biggest hockey stick in the world. There's a lot of community spirit behind it. It's been here for a long time. It's been in the World Guinness Book of Records. I think it has an important piece of the Duncan history. The massive hockey stick was originally made for the entrance to the Canada Pavilion at Expo 86 in Vancouver. It was moved to Duncan in 1988 and now rests against the Cowichan Community Centre. More than 30 other communities were vying for it, entering a contest, but the world's largest hockey stick society raised more than $150,000 to move it to Vancouver Island. Janet Brown, Global News. Walk softly and carry a big hockey stick? Yeah. Is that how the saying goes? That's a good way to look at it. We, we did get the black suit memo today. Yes, we did. It's a little bit dark for a sunny Friday afternoon. Well, that is true. It is... Uh, it's tray chic. Seem, well, I guess so. Um, a little somber, but we don't need to be somber here. Um, home sweet home. Yeah, uh, so the Whitecaps... Um, since they came back, remember when they were in Salt Lake City, they had to be there because of the pandemic? Since they came back home, they've actually had more wins than any other team in Major League Soccer. We'll talk a bit about that. We'll show you what the Lions did last night in their final exhibition game. They won as well. Thank you, Squire. Also coming up tonight. Oh, yeah, my favorite satellite career. I'm so excited. I didn't even know this was happening. Thank you, Squire. That's coming up later. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I was just checking out the black attire on the I know, I don't know. We need to brighten it up. I, I, yeah, I probably should have changed shirts or something. But. Sorry. So we're already, the show's almost over. Don't read into it, folks. No, we're fine. It's not like anything bad's happened. No, we're just, we're um, we were just in that kind of a mood. <laughs> the uh, Whitecaps are home tomorrow night, 7.30. They'll be taking on Sporting Kansas City. And things have actually gone very well for Vancouver when they have been at BC, BC Place. Except, except... It would be nice to see more people in the crowd. I don't even know if I can call it a crowd. Wednesday, there were a lot of empty seats. There's been too many empty seats this year. And actually, the games have been pretty good for the most part, especially the one on Wednesday when there were eight goals. That's like four games worth of soccer in one night, eight goals. But the Whitecaps themselves don't want a repeat of how that happened. Scoring six goals in one soccer game is kind of like scoring 12 goals in a hockey game. And when you do that, when you score six in one game, you would think that everybody would be happy. But when the Whitecats beat Houston on Wednesday 6-2, Vanny Sartini said this. I think it was our worst performance of the season, to be honest. 
That's because his defense looked a little confused. I think last game, we started the game with a lot of uh, heart and intensity, but it was chaos for at least 30 minutes. And as fun as it was to watch, the Whitecaps do need some structure in their game for Sporting Kansas City. Only when we are well settling the game, okay, we can do and go and do the 1% more, the 5% more in terms of intensity. But the Whitecaps have been able to overcome their own chaos when playing at BC Place. They can't win on the road, but they can't seem to lose at home. In fact, since they returned from their pandemic exile in Salt Lake City on August 21st of 2021, nobody in MLS has won more home games in Vancouver or acquired more points. The Whitecaps are 22-6-6 in their last 34 home games. Okay, now I'm going to say something that's going to make the superstitious among us freak out a bit. During their recent run of playing a lot of games close together, the Whitecaps have been pretty healthy, aside from Ali Ahmed's concussion against Pacific FC in the Canadian Championship game over in Langford. The players at Whitecaps practice today were saying that their medical and training staff have them in very good shape. Yeah, I think it's a very good point, and I actually thought about it today at warm-up. Um, I don't think I've ever had that in a team where there's so little injuries and obviously don't want to jinx anything, you know. Like, um, it's uh, certainly certainly good, and it helps a lot, you know. I think you can see that when you bring guys on off the bench, um, you know, make rotations throughout the games and, and from game to game. It helps a lot to have everybody available. It gives you a different look. It makes it not as predictable as well for the opponents. Um, and yeah, I think the, the groundwork has been laid, you know, starting in preseason with knowing what kind of a schedule we might have. Okay, this was last night at BC Place Stadium. The BC Lions were playing their final exhibition game against the Calgary Stampeders. And Vernon Adams was incredible. 12 for 12. Uh, that's a touchdown pass right there to Justin McInnes, who had a big first half. And the defense was, oh, they're working on their choreography. They almost got it. It's early in the year, too. Uh, TJ Lee breaking up a pass here in the end zone. Calgary had a good second half. I mean, exhibition games, they're more for coaches and fans. And I think for Rick Campbell, this uh, solidified in his mind that making Vernon Adams the number one guy coming into the season was a pretty good choice. Here he gets on the move and then finds Dominique Rimes, who was wide open. Of course, he scored a lot of TDs for BC last year, no matter who was throwing him the ball. And then again, Justin McInnes formerly of the Riders, uh, gets another touchdown pass from Adams. So Adams had a perfect night for the BC Lions, and uh, they won this game, and their uh, first game will be on the road against the Stamps on June the 8th. Yeah, he looked sharp, um, made some really good throws, and then it was impressive that he made some off-script plays, you know, if the, buying time with his feet, running for a first down, or buying time and, and finding an open guy. So... It was, it was good to see him in a rhythm and, and feeling good about things. And, uh, you know, we weren't, uh, we didn't have a, a set deadline of when he was going to be pulled from the game. But, uh, you know, with that last time I said, I said, I've seen enough. Have you seen enough? And he said, yeah, me too. And I said, that's, that's good. I like that. Well, Carlos Alcarez is the number one player at the French Open. He was taking on Denis Shapovalov today and, I don't think many people thought Shapovalov would win this match. He had a rough first set, had a pretty good second set, but 6-1, 6-4, and 6-2. And as expected, the number one seed takes out Denis Shapovalov on the dirt of Paris.
clay, I guess, to be exact. But you can get very dirty if you fall down in that. Oh, and the Lions, their first home game is June 17th. And before the game, they're kicking it old school. <laughs> LL Cool J is going to do a concert. Mama said knock you out. Something like a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. But you know what I like? Singing chickens. Do you have any wrapping chickens? No, I don't have any wrapping chickens. But singing. I don't even have chickens that are wrapped. But I do have chickens that are kind of dancing for you. And singing, or well, sort of more dancing. More dancing. Anyway, that's coming up. Next. They might be humming, but we didn't hear them. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at six. Global News Hour at six. We look like a chessboard. It's the Harlequin thing. Oh, black, white, and black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So it all works out in the end. All right, Squire. Okay, so um, if you're a fan of Ted Lasso, you will know that the final episode um, came out this week. I haven't seen it. No spoilers. I'm not going to tell you what happened. Mm -mm. Uh, but uh, a lot of people know this. Some people might not, that the character Ted Lasso and the whole idea started years ago, I think 2013, as a commercial for when NBC started showing English Premier League games in America. So Jason Sudeikis uh, came up with this Ted Lasso character and they had, I think it was two long form commercials to support this. Anyway, here is part of one of those since it's the week that the final episode came out. Well, today should be an absolute cracker of a game, Ted. We've got two teams here who are desperate for three points to avoid relegation. What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to the definition of relegation. I was able to parlay my coaching career into some on-camera work. Let's um, oh, talk a little you. bit about your time in London, in North I London at Tottenham. How long exactly were you there? About six and a half hours. Six okay. and a half, and I don't know how that translates to uh, British time. You know, I made some rookie broadcast mistakes, as anyone's going to do in that situation. Hey, welcome, welcome to the Premier League right here. Ted Lasso coming at you right at home. I'm sorry, you're, you should start, not me. Go ahead. Let, let, let's do it again. Let's start over, yeah? Oh, Ted, we're actually, we're actually live right now. This is Ted, Ted Lasso, the Oh, it's live. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. How was I supposed to know that? Well, I thought that said live. Some of the words, you know, I got confused. Now, if I was a Fulham fan, what I would encourage them to do, go out to the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Hide. You wait for the referee to come out there, get into his little car, and you follow him home. So you tweet his address, and you let the good people fool him take matters in their own hands. Obviously, don't go and do that, please. Hey, you do whatever you like. We can't condone anything of the sort. No, we can't. Live! Live! It's live! And we're clear on the floor. All right. Hey, that was fun. You're a Yeah. Hi, she knew my nickname. The Premier League begins again August 16th, only on NBC and NBCSN. And you might have noticed in the background, Coach Beard was in that too. Okay, so these oh. are two from Geico, um, starting with Pinocchio on a date. Hi, Samantha. You look more like a Heather. Do you ever get that? It's nice to finally meet you in person. You're Pete Nokio. Oh, the pick? That was actually a professional headshot. Oh. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. I, uh, I think I lost a few pounds recently, too. I'm actually doing a juice cleanse. Wait, you don't... <sighs> With Geico, the savings keep on going, just like this sequel. <laughs> 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Don't thank me. 
thank the savings. You can't skip this Geico ad because it's already over. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Those actors oh did pretty gosh, good. They hilarious. had to hold the freeze the whole time. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'll get to a green burrito one of these days for Christy. Now oh. we're taking requests you, inside the room, as you can see. But Sophie mentioned this one excited. last week, and so here it is. Three, two, one. Can you That's, help but dance and, to that? And with their friends with the white commercial. gloves, they had some, you know, chicken moves. You'll get green burrito. Can we? Can you do it for next week? I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> I know where it is. I thought I got all excited. I thought it was tonight. No, no, no. It, it, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Have a good weekend, all.